otherwise on SAFM. Thanks so much, Jacinda. While you're listening to Otherwise here on SAFM, Talking Women, as we do every weekday between 1 and 2 o'clock. The team with me in studio today is Hazel Makazeni, Derek Fordyce, and I'm Kim Winter, standing in for Nancy Richards. Well, on Otherwise today, we speak with three different women on the subject of small business and how to empower women and young people in the entrepreneurial space. As I mentioned before, apparently over 50% of small businesses are destined to fail in the first five years. In the other half, the author of When is Enough Enough? 10 Things That Any Aspiring Entrepreneur Needs to Know to Start and Run a Successful Business will be joining us in studio. So if you are a small business owner or thinking of starting your own thing, be sure to tune in. But first, how do we foster good business and money skills in our youth? We talk with founder of Kitty World about her work to empower South Africa's young ones. And... What are the challenges facing African women when it comes to financial inclusion? New faces, new voices will join us to shed light on the difficulties and the solutions. So that's otherwise today. Stay tuned. Don't miss top billing this Thursday as super hot young entrepreneur Maps Mabanyane reveals his style secrets. How he got his love of fashion from his mum, a sense of pride from his dad, and whether it's true he is still single. Hi, 5FM. I'm Masejo Maps Mapunyani. Join myself, Jeannie D, and SA's Sexiest Man on Top Billing this Thursday at 8.30 only on SABC3. Need to renew your TV license? Pop into your provincial SABC TV license office, update your details, and you could win a 32-inch LCD TV. So whether you're living in Pretoria, Porokwane, Bloemfontein, Durban, Kimberley, Cape Town, Port Elizabeth, Nelspruit, or Johannesburg, we are here to help with all inquiries. So go local. Step into your SABC provincial office today and stand a chance to win. TV licenses, making a difference. Jazz is back in town, and you never know what you're going to get at the Standard Bank Grahamstown Jazz Festival. But hey, that's jazz for you. Experience the magic of Steve Turra, Vusi Makasela, Jonas Gwangwa, Mikasa, Shane Cooper, Barney Wachabane, Soweto String Quartet, and many more. 27 June to 6 July, book now at CompuTicket, Standard Bank, moving forward. Otherwise, on SAFM. Yes, you are listening to Otherwise Talking Women here on SAFM. And today we've got a bit of a business slant. Michelle Smith, she's a social entrepreneur who attended the Branson Center of Entrepreneurship in 2012. And in light of current challenges in South Africa, such as a youth unemployment rate of around 48.2%, she founded the program Kitty World, and we have her on the line. Hi, Michelle. Hi there, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Right, so entrepreneurship. Have you been a budding entrepreneur your whole life? How did, it, how did you come to get into that uh, career choice? Yes, I actually have. I run a program called Kiddiepreneur, which teaches kids entrepreneurship. So I was a kiddiepreneur from about the age of nine years old where I started by selling oranges and you know stuff outside our gates and then moved on from there and had a few magazines and newspapers and just through the Branson Centre, realised the importance of, especially today, of instilling the entrepreneurial spirit in our youth. Hmm. And, and tell me a little bit more about the Branson Centre. How did you end up there, and, and how has it supported you in your career? Okay, so the Branson Centre, obviously, um, 
is really unique because of its connection to Sir Richard Branson. And it's when you apply online and you get chosen based on your, you know, you fill out all your business information and you get chosen on that. And then you first attend a foundation course and after that the advanced course. Um, and, yeah, they believe in mentoring and it's just accessing of networking opportunities. We go through training programs with brilliant, you know, people who come in and train you. Um, so, yes, it's really a magnificent program and it's taught me so much about entrepreneurship and it's helped me to be able to instill this in so many children around the world. So did you take your idea of, of uh, Kitty World to the Branson Center and that's how you developed it? Yes, I did. Um, okay. I've also got two other programs, and I started with the Life Skills program first. And through, you know, working mm-hmm. with kids on Life Skills, I realized how many kids actually don't know anything about business and money and, you know, the financial side of things. So, yeah, so then I developed the entrepreneurial program from that and from what I had learned through the Branson Center. So you've seen a gap also in the in the curriculum in terms of educating young ones in school as well around business skills? Yeah, there's a huge gap in the curriculum. And, you know, the new curriculum that's just come out, they'll start touching on it, but more in the high school level. So what we do is we run these programs with a lot of rural schools, but also at, you know, your government and private schools. And what it does is it just, shows children that there are other options to, you know, becoming a doctor or a scientist or, you know, not every child is made for that. So it just shows them there's other options. And, I mean, with the unemployment rate being four out of every ten school finishers not being able to find employment, when they get to that point where they can't find anything, they know how to fall back and start their own business because through our program they had done it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have some brilliant success stories of 13-year-olds and there's one in particular, um, a young boy in KZN called him Keys, and he started his own chicken business where he cleans chickens and repackages them and sells them to the public, and um, he makes between 800 and 1,000 rand a week. So Fantastic. Really, yeah, there's some lovely stories, and I mean, when he finishes school, if he can't find employment, he's going to carry on making his own money because he knows he can Mm. I suppose it's it's about building confidence in our young ones to to believe that they can do their own thing, but but I guess it's also fostering a good sense of of you know basic things like money skills and business skills. I mean, you you say you work with uh, ages between six and uh, sixteen. How do you how do you start fostering those kinds of skills with the young ones with with say a six year old? It's actually really easy. So we give them money and well. Normally, if the programs are sponsored, the corporate would come along and sponsor a rural program, and then we give them a start-up amount, and then we work with them to show them, okay, well, depending what you want to do, like a lot of the six-year-olds would make things um, like greeting cards, or there's quite a few, or, you know, they'd paint, and, you know, then they would sell what they make, so mm-hmm. they realize that they have to put money into it, and then they have to keep some money aside, and it takes a while, but they get it, and... You know, it's amazing what these kids are. They can do so much more than what we give them credit for. So, yeah, it really is amazing. And what comes out of it is really rewarding. Is part of what you do to work with teachers and parents as well? Yes, we do. Um, We run programs at schools, especially after the kids have attended this, to 
Because what happens in rural areas is the kids start making the money and then suddenly all the money goes to their parents and they can't carry on with their business because now they've got no more money to carry on. So at the end of the program, we have, um, you know, something with the parents where we just teach them to actually support their kids in what they're doing and just make sure there's always enough money for them to actually carry on making profits. I mean, if you don't have money to buy material, you can't carry on with what you're doing. Mm. So you, you build that support structure around them as well. Yeah. So just just give us a sense of Kitty World. I mean, I know there there are a few different components to what you do. Okay, so Kitty World it has Kitty Premier, which is the entrepreneurship. Then it has Kitty Fit, which is a fitness program running schools, and that's a phys ed program. And then there's Kitty Life, which is a life skills program. And two of the programs are already in the UK, and we are planning on expanding to more of Africa as well. Oh, fantastic. So are you you focused in South Africa at the moment, on, in on yes, South Africa? Yeah. Okay. And tell me a little bit more about Kitty Fit. Why, why is that an important part of, of what you do? Why did you think that was an important part of, of Kitty World? Well, a healthy mind, you know, a healthy body is a healthy mind. And we've realized that time, again, being taught through the Branson Center and through Richard Branson's values. And... It's just, I believe, fitness is such an important part of, you know, children's lives. And with obesity rates in South Africa being alarming at the moment, there's no proper physical education program. And the amount of kids who are obese is, you know, it's, it's actually scary. So that's why we incorporated that into the program because it's, it helps, you know, if kids are active, their minds are more open and it's easier to teach them. Mm. So, yeah, that's what we brought that one up. Okay, so so at the just going back to the the Branson Centre, have you have you been assigned your own mentor? How how does that work? Yes, so after you've attended the advanced course, you get assigned your own mentor, and you work with them on growing your business. You know, often you need a fresh pair of eyes to look at your business and tell you what to do next, because you get so submerged in it and you know into the programs and everything you do around your business that you don't actually stand back and look at it. So the programs helped me a lot to actually take a step back and look at how to grow the business as opposed to being so involved in the day-to-day running that, you know, you get caught up in things. Mm. And have you taken that element of mentorship into what you do at Kitty World as well? Yes, I have, especially the Kitty Premier program. We, what we do, especially when corporates do sponsor the programs, we try to get, you know, some people who can mentor from that corporate to come in and mentor the kids and then every six weeks after that well on all our programs we actually do follow-ups and we get the kids to either submit their finances or we get teachers to give us reports on how it's going and then at the end of the year we have a award you know on the best kitty premier across South Africa so just encourage them to keep doing what they're doing and then the their mentors also you know they take them under the wing and help them grow. Mm. So you do you have this sort of little kitty world hubs all over South Africa? How do you how do you have such a reach? How does that work? Yes, yeah, so well we have trainers um, all over South Africa and agents. And so what happens is we obviously we've trained our trainers and they would go into the schools and run these programs. Um, the biggest is obviously in Johannesburg because that's where we've been focused. So in Johannesburg we've got twenty trainers and their, you know, their assistants and we run the programs all over. And, yeah, so um, we have, at the end of our program, we have a market day for the kids. It's an eight-week program 
then they have a market day where they get to put their business skills to test and then the week after they reflect back on their financials. So the market days are becoming quite popular with, you know, parents and everybody coming to to them to support the kids. Okay. And Michelle, how can people connect with you, find out more? Do you have a website? What's the best way? Yes, they can look at our website. It's kiddyworld, K-I-D-R world, And then, yeah, all our programs are on there. Brilliant. And just lastly, do you have any advice for young people out there, women who are wanting to start their own thing in South Africa? What's what's the one thing an entrepreneur should should know in in your mind, in your opinion? Firstly, I think they should definitely look up the brands and things and get involved there. And then, yeah, secondly, as a woman entrepreneur in South Africa, there's so much access to funding and there's so many different you know, you can get mentoring programs. There's awards especially run for women. So look at all of those things, and the more you get behind you, the better. Mm, that's good news. All right, brilliant. I'll give out your website again. And, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, that's perfect. Thank you. Thanks. Ciao. Bye. Well, that was Michelle Smith. She's a social entrepreneur and founder of the program Kitty World. And if you'd like to connect with her or find out any more information, you can visit www.kiddiworld.co.za. Good morning to you. How are you? I'm nice. And you? No, you're not nice. (laughs) You can't use that term. Why not? Why can't you have nice health? My health is nice. It doesn't make sense. I'm 65 years old. I've never heard anybody use that word regarding their health. So you're a role model, and you've even got people phoning in, and you're asking them, and they're saying, I'm nice. But what what does nice mean? Well, it doesn't mean much regarding your health. (laughs) It's the wrong word to use. It's just unusual. You're not used to it. It's very unusual. (laughs) (laughs) So have your say on the open line on Wednesday mornings with me, Vuyombuli. Otherwise, on SAFM. That's it. You're listening to Otherwise Talking Woman here on SAFM. And we've been talking about empowerment within the entrepreneurial space. And when we look at Africa, and especially women, there are some unique challenges that we face. My next guest, uh, Normsa Daniel, she's the CEO of NFNV, which is New Faces, New Voices. Uh, they took part recently in a policy briefing called Advancing African, Wo- African Women's Financial Inclusion in the SADC region. And we have her on the line to hear more. Hi, Normsa. Hi. Hi, welcome. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Well, Advancing African Women's Financial Inclusion, that's the title of the policy briefing. Can you give us a bit of background on, on the gathering? Um, yes. Um, before I do that, I just want to quickly um, give you some background on New Faces, just to, sure. to put everything in context. Okay. Um, new Faces, New Voices, which is what NFNV stands for, is a Pan-African network of women in uh, finance and business. And what we do as an organization is focus on increasing women's access to finance and financial services. Mm. Um, So we look at, for example, are women entrepreneurs, you know, getting the levels of of financial support that they should be from um, various financial institutions. But we also look at issues around financial inclusion, um, which is the extent really to which women participate um, in, in the financial system and in formal financial institutions. Okay, so and it's not just access to resources, but it's actually that participation, that engagement. Exactly, okay. exactly. And so the policy brief was really looking at 
um, women's financial inclusion throughout Africa. And what you generally find is, um, you know, there are extremely low levels. Uh, women have extremely low levels of financial access, um, and it differs from country to country. Um, South Africa is, is quite a ways ahead um, in, in, in having women's participation at extremely high levels in the formal financial system. But because we, we work across Africa, um, we see very, very big disparities. Um, and for the continent as a whole, for example, um, only 21% of women in sub-Saharan Africa um, hold bank accounts. Um, and this is compared to 26.5% of men. So, you know, even among men, levels of inclusion are quite low. But, but the tendency is, is for um, women to have far levels of access. And it's not just bank accounts. It's, you know, savings. It's um, women's access to loans. It's access to, to insurance products. Um, and so what, what we um, what we are doing with the policy brief is really highlighting some of the challenges that that confront women specifically and and that um, impede their ability to really engage with the formal financial system. Mm. And what are a few of those things that impede their their engagement? Um, well, again, and I think, again, just thinking about women in Africa as a whole, mm. uh, some of the constraints are, you know, women tend to not have access to assets. Um, and, and typically this would be, you know, land, um, assets which banks would, 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 would require as collateral. Um, women tend to have, um, you know, lower educational levels, and so, even the way that they engage with formal financial institutions um, uh, puts them at a disadvantage because they, they don't have the same levels of financial literacy or, or business training that would make them sort of comfortable in approaching financial institutions for, um, for loans. Women, because of their household responsibilities, um, also have mobility constraints. So, you know, even just getting to a bank um, can be particularly challenging, and, and even more so for women in rural areas. Um, access to technology uh, is, is another inhibiting factor, um, which, which impedes on women's ability to, to access financial services. Um, but there, you know, you're seeing um, sort of tremendous changes as a result of uh, cell phone technology which is, is now more and more accessible to many more people, regardless of income and educational levels. And, and this is really changing the landscape tremendously in terms of financial access and financial inclusion. This kind of research, is, is that what new faces and new voices do? Did you gather this kind of information? It's quite grassroots level information. Um, as new faces, we do engage in research. Um, we are primarily an advocacy group, um, but we also believe very much in evidence-based research and using, you know, data to um, to reinforce the positions that we adopt and also to influence um, policy. And typically in, in, in our African countries, it's very difficult to get uh, gender disaggregated research that really highlights um, the position of women in the economy or, or, you know, as I said, the position of women as far as accessing financial services. Mm-hmm. So we believe very strongly that uh, more research is needed around um, these issues. And what we did was we partnered with 
the um, uh, an organization called Making Finance Work for Africa, which is again a Pan-African organization, um, and with support from GIZ and the German Cooperation Agency, we were able to to do this research, um, which initially came out of a two-day roundtable meeting that we had last year in Arusha, Tanzania. Um, so. Through our various networks and, and ability to gather information on the ground, we've compiled this policy brief, which I think sets out the challenges women face, but also sets out recommendations. Um, and the policy brief is really targeted at um, those who can influence change, um, at regulatory agencies, at central banks, um, at, at government ministries, um, whether it's ministries of finance or women's ministries, that really have the ability to take some of these recommendations and, and implement them in a way which will make um, a tangible impact on women's levels of financial inclusion. And these key players that attended, what were their responses? Were they, were they open to, to what the suggestions were, what the discussion brought up? Um, well, the meeting that we had last week um, was was uh, held at the Reserve Bank, and um, w- with the support of, of Governor Jill Marcus, um, we had invited a collection of um, central bank governors from from the SADC region. Um, there is an organization called the uh, Committee of Central Bank Governors in SADC, and we thought that really these were the kind of you know these were the, the regulators that we wanted to target. Um, so the meeting comprised uh, a number of the SEDEC governors as well as some deputy governors, um, but we also had invited some of the line ministries, um, women's ministries and finance ministries from around the SEDEC region um, to really engage them on, on the, um, the, sense of the findings uh, and how they as policymakers could really um, take these recommendations and begin to make concrete, um, measurable changes in women's levels of inclusion. Mm. And did you walk away from those discussions positive? Uh, yes, very positive. I think they're, they're you know, we, we were um, definitely quite delighted, I think, by, by the reception um, of, of these regulators, um, by, I think, their willingness to, to uh, look at women as a as really a market segment um, that requires, I think, specific interventions. Um, you know, one of the one of our recommendations is we we really want to move away from a kind of one size fits all approach where um, financial inclusion is looked at as as an issue, but it isn't broken down into well, how is it affecting women and how is it affecting young people? Yeah. Um, and so I think just getting the attention of regulators to focus on women as, a, as an independent market segment and getting financial institutions, you know, commercial banks uh, and those that can provide financial products and services to women to begin to look at women as a market segment um, that is profitable and, and that, you know, wields a lot of um, influence and has, has substantial economic power. Uh, and also represents an, an opportunity for these institutions. I think for us was um, was was a very positive development. Mm. Because women really do 
um, have a lot of economic power in the home as well. They're making all the uh, consumer choices. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, what we keep stressing is um, because women really do control resources and because they make a lot of household purchasing decisions uh, and because women are now getting more and more educated and having, um, you know, are able to ha- earn higher incomes, um, are interested in, in how do they invest um their resources or, or let's say, you know, put those resources into starting businesses, um, we really need to begin to look at women as a vast untipped opportunity, mm-hmm. um, not as, you know, not as sort of victims who are constantly in need of support or charity, but as economic agents that can make an important contribution um, to this continent and to the economies of our country. And if people want to find out more information or get in touch with you, they can go to newfacesnewvoices.wordpress.com. Am I right? Uh, no, okay. I think um, we 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 do have a website, which is um, you know every two years we hold a big event called the African Women's Economic Summit, yes. um, and we we have a website that has information about the last summit that we held in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, but it also has a lot of information about new faces. And that website is www.awes.nfnv.org. Brilliant. Norm, so thank you so much for sharing your findings and good luck with the next steps. Thank you. Thank you very much. Keep well. Ciao. Well, that was Norma Daniel. She's the CEO of NFNV, New Faces, New Voices. And she was speaking to us on the recent policy brief, Advancing African Women's Financial Inclusion in the SADC region. And we'll pop their uh, website website up on our Facebook page. But first, it's gone 1.30, and it's time for the news headlines with Asanda. Thank you, Kim. Good afternoon. A seven-year-old girl has died at an Ekurleni boarding school, apparently from food poisoning. The Gauteng Health Department says the girl was one of 26 boarders at the Aurora Comprehensive School at Tembisa, affected by a suspected food poisoning outbreak. More details are emerging on the sudden departure of Petra SA chairperson Benny Mukaba. The Central Energy Fund has confirmed that Mukaba's departure is related to recent events at the company. And Police Minister Natim Tetwa says the arrest of 15 men accused of attempting to rob the Empress Palace Casino on Gauteng's East Rand reflects the commitment of the police to fighting crime. For SAFM News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyane. Details at 2. If you're a regular listener to Time to Travel on SAFM on Wednesday evenings just after 9, you'll know that I always encourage you to become tourists in your own town or city. Now what I'd like you to do is to take a moment and think about something unusual or different that you'd like to share, something you'd like to highlight that makes your town or city so special, something you wouldn't hesitate to recommend to a tourist to your area. Then send me an email to travel at safm.co.za or post something on the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM. As soon as I have a good selection, and I'd like to start a feature on the show called My Town. And who knows, I may even call you up and invite you to tell the listeners all about it. Time to travel with Karen Key. Otherwise, on SAFM. Well, as you heard there, you're listening to Otherwise Talking Women here on SAFM. And in line with our Monday business focus, Marangwa Makakane, she's joining us shortly. She's the author of When Is Enough Enough? Ten things that any aspiring entrepreneur needs to know to start and run a successful business. According to the U.S. Small Business Administration, over 50% of small businesses fail in the first five years. 
And Marangwa's personal story of what she describes as rags to riches, back to rags, and then recovery, is truly inspiring. And we have her in the Joburg studio. Hello. Hello, Kim. Thank you for having me in your studio. It's wonderful to have you. We've been speaking a lot about small businesses and the challenges, so I'm looking forward to hearing your insight. Indeed. The title of your book, When Is Enough Enough? Talk us through the journey, I think, that led you up to writing this book. Thank you so much. Um, I wrote this book firstly because um, I got into business quite by accident. I always knew that I wanted to be on my own and I wanted to be my boss, but I got retrenched from my job. And once I got retrenched, um, I started looking around and then I got a project. Mm. Then work started going and it went very well and soon my business started growing. But I was working from home, and as the money started coming in, I realized, you know, working from home, I'm not ideal, so I decided I'm going to go into offices. Now, the biggest challenge was that, remember, I got into business quite by accident, so I had not really planned how the business is going to go, how it's going to come out, if I'm getting money, how am I going to spend it, what are my income, what is my expenses, how am I going to apportion the various expenses as they come along. So I went into expensive offices, and the offices were great. They were next to a shopping mall, a big uh, insurance company, and when I went into offices, I then had to get staff. And then I got the staff, and then I had to get the technology that goes along with um, the, 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 the office and the staff. Mm. Now, as the money started coming in, it went into my head, and I started spending. I spent left, right, and center, clothing, shopping, and so forth, and so forth. And the type of client that I had is a very problematic client that takes time to pay. Now, as I was issuing invoices, at first the money started coming in and everything was great and there was the spending, but there came, there, there came a time when the money did not come in and I found myself in a lot of trouble. Now, uh, money started coming in drips and drabs and I took the money to pay Peter and I paid Paul, I took the money to pay Mary and I paid mm-hmm. Jane and I found myself really in trouble. And one of the other mistakes that I had made when the money came in was that I had bought so many cars. You know, besides the spending in terms of offices, in terms of the home expenditure, besides the clothes, I bought so many cars. And when the money did not come in, I just could not sustain it, and I could not even pay my own office rent. Mm. And it got to a point where um, I was so much in trouble, and I was so much in debt. I was actually indebted to the tune of 1.2 million. Sure. I had a lot of hope though, but uh, when as things got back, I could not pay my office rent, I could not pay my staff, I could not service the technology that I had in the office, and I ran away from my offices in the middle of the night. But I had hope. I went into smaller offices and I thought that things would get better. But things did not get better, and it got to a point where I actually had to close down the offices. During this, sorry to interrupt you there, but during this, this process, did you start to lose confidence in yourself? I lost a lot of confidence. My esteem, self-esteem was very, very low. I cried myself to sleep. Mm-hmm. I cried every night and I blamed everybody. I blamed my clients for not paying me. I blamed my clients and my bank for extending the credit when they knew that we could not afford it. I blamed everybody and I just did not take responsibility for my actions. And it got to a point. And, and everything, I mean, the cars were repossessed. I just did not have any money. And remember, I had run away from my offices in the middle of the night. My landlord was on my case. My technology company was on my case. My staff had started leaving in drips and drabs, mm-hmm. and I was at my lowest point. And um, it got to a point where I said to myself, enough. You know, when am I going to say enough is enough? And at that point, I had cried so much that I didn't have tears left in my eyes. Things were very, very bad. And 
um, I took comfort in the fridge. I ate and I ate and I ate. As I was crying, I was eating and I ballooned. I gained so much weight. Mm. One day I woke up, stand in front of the mirror, and I didn't like who I saw. And then I realized I have to change. Enough is enough. So I took responsibility. I sat down and I found myself a personal coach. And together we sat down. We redefined my goals. And my top goal was to be financially independent because of the debt that I had incurred. Mm. And, and that's an interesting, sorry, that financially independent doesn't mean that you're only earning your own money, but that you're also not in, in debt. Yeah, it means yes. that you are debt free, but it also means that, you know, whenever you want to go to movies, you can actually afford to go to movies. It means that when your creditors are phoning you, you're not going to be switching off your phone and hiding yourself. You know, it means that having that money to sustain you. And... um. So we redefined the goals and I had big goals and I had small goals but my second goal was to go back to my initial weight um, and my goal was to be my slim slender size 34 because remember I had actually gained over 23 kilograms. So I started by doing small things. Uh, I had measures and targets so I identified if I owed this uh, company like West Bank 300,000 I said how much can I afford to pay them over what period and then I approached them, the creditors and I said Mr. Sorenso this is how much I owe you and this is how much I can afford to pay you back. Now. Remember, I, I did not have a job and I was in so much debt. And one of the key things that I have learned personally is a person must never bend their bridges. So I had left my previous job in good standing. I had a good relationship with my previous employers. I went back and I asked for my job. I went through a normal interview and recruitment process and I was appointed to my job. And I started to slowly pay my, my debt back. But one of the key things that I did, and I started focusing on eating healthy and I started an exercise routine. And um, that exercise routine was running, and I ran, and I ran. Mm. And um, one of the highlights was that I actually completed Comrades Marathon uh, in 2010. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. So the idea of writing this book um, came to, as I was busy getting out of the debt and achieving some of the smaller goals that I had set myself, I said, you know, I have so much information. I have so much learning from the failure of the business. What am I going to do with that? And I thought, you know what, I could actually educate other aspiring entrepreneurs, people who want to start their own things. I can also inspire people who are already in businesses so that they can see what are the things that they need to put in place and make sure that they have them there to make sure that their businesses become successful. And that's how the idea of the book was run. And were you apprehensive to put pen to paper? I mean, this is quite a personal story um, as well. Or, or was it quite an easy thing for you to do? It, it was quite easy because at that time I was in a good space. I had redefined my goals. I knew where I was going. I knew that I had made a lot of mistakes, but I did not focus on the wrongs that I had done. I really focused on the future and where it is that I want to go. And it was just natural. As I was writing each chapter... My story just became part of the book. So this book is my story and is the story of every aspiring entrepreneur and also entrepreneurs that are actually out there. Mm -hmm. Have you met a lot of other people who have a similar story to you through your work? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of entrepreneurs that are in a lot of trouble. And basically it's because we do not put the right infrastructure in place to make sure that your business is going to be successful. So my story is actually not necessarily unique. There are a lot of people who failed in businesses. Some have gone back to um, their full-time jobs. The challenge, though, with getting out of this is to tell yourself that you can actually rise above the adversity. You can rise above the challenges. When you fail and you are down there and you actually 
remain da- down there. That mm. is the challenge, and that is what makes people different, is to have that internal locus of control which determines whether you make things happen to you or whether external things will be happening to you. And I had to go through that process and come out of that deep level of sorrow. And I really uh, uh, motivated myself by the words I am, I can, I will. I had to start seeing myself in a positive light. I had to see myself as a person who can make things happen, who can improve my situation, who can make sure that I get a better life. And it took me four years to actually pay off that debt. Okay. And coaching was really the answer for you there and building up your self-esteem again. Absolutely. But the the uh, actual thing is getting up and going to find that coach because the coach will not come to you. So you have to accept and admit that you have a problem and identify what your problem is. And once you've done that, you'll then be able to identify the right person who will be able to help you get through that. And it's important that when you find a coach, you find somebody who shares your vision, who believes in you, who will be able to guide you through that process because it is actually a journey. It's not something that happens yesterday and it's over tomorrow. You carry with it throughout your life. Mm. Well, let's talk about some of those ten things, shall we? Absolutely. Okay. The book is organized into ten chapters. And the first chapter is understand why you're getting into business. And basically, it's about conducting your business idea research. As I said, I went into business quite by accident. And a lot of people actually go into business um, like that. But... And some people come up with a business idea. You know, I mean, I start the first chapter saying you are at a party and event and you have a business idea and you see yourself being successful. And you think that because you see yourself being successful, you can just up and resign from your job and start the business and hope that customers will come and buy from you. It actually doesn't work that way. So you need to conduct business idea research to understand, first of all, the product or service that you're going to be providing. Is there going to be a need for it? Mm -hmm. Are you going to get customers to buy from you? The key thing to understand with customers is that people are selling things to people and people are buying things from people and those things are based on loyalty, they're based on uh, quality, they're based on the speed within which uh, their customers, their service providers give them those services. So you need to understand who is your competition and what is your competition not doing so that you can then differentiate your product or your service according to what your customers need. The second chapter is about uh, business planning. So now that you've done the research and you've tested whether your business idea is viable, whether it's going to be profitable and sustainable, you now need to plan. Because if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. So you need to put um, your results from the business idea research and concretize them into a business plan, which is going to determine whether you are going to be able to pull it off. The third chapter is on financial planning. Now, for me, that is key. Because you need to understand, if I'm selling this particular product or service, how much am I going to get on a monthly basis? And how much am I going to spend? What is going to be my expenses? How am I going to apportion them? Taking into consideration that there are statutory, obligatory expenses like your VAT, like the e- your EMP 201s that you need to pay. So you need to make sure that you've got a right infrastructure for financial planning, which is going to help you determine how much of a salary are you going to be paying yourself. And if you're going to be hiring staff, how much are you going to be um, paying your staff? Then chapter four is about now that the money is coming in, uh, monitor your spending. So You've got your financial plan, you've tested your business idea research, you've got a business plan, you've got your financial plan, now the money is coming in. How do you make sure that you actually spend that money? And the key lesson for me was the fact that I had moved from my home office and gone to expensive offices. And one of the lessons that I say, work from home, especially if you are a one-man show. Work from home so that you actually keep your overheads low. 
Chapter 5 is monitor your staffing requirements. And over there I'm saying, once you've got your business plan, because your business plan actually tells you what are the things that you're going to be providing and what are the things that you're going to be needing. So that will then help you to determine what type of staff are you looking for, what types of skills are you looking for, and how are you going to be using the staff to actually help you achieve the vision that you have set out yourself when you conducted your business idea research. Chapter 6 is about your marketing plan. So now that you've conducted your business idea research, you've got your business plan, your financial plan, you're monitoring your spending, you need to get out there to make sure that people notice you and they know that you are there. So you develop a marketing plan, you identify the types of clients that you want to do business with and you get out there and you market yourself. Chapter 7 is fully operational uh, project delivery. And here I talk about the quality management uh, standards. How do you make sure that when you're providing a service or a product, this is what customers are looking for? And that information really you will have gathered from your business idea research. And you say, if this, my customers are expecting this type of product according to this type of quality, that is how I'm actually going to be uh, providing it. Chapter 8 is about a small business partnering and collaboration. And there I'm saying, if you're providing a product or a service, and remember, I'm coming from a service-oriented uh, 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 company, yes. um, your customers will start to trust you with everything else, even though they know that you do not have the expertise. right? But that is then where you need to say, I specialize in this, and who are the people that I can find who share my vision, who understand what I want to do, so that together we can then deliver what the client is actually looking for and actually exceed their expectations. Chapter 9 is about your contracts. How do you make sure that you actually have watertight contracts? When your clients do not pay you, how do you make sure that you have the legal recourse to be able to make sure that you recover the money? Because you, when you are working for a client, you need to be paid. And sometimes clients actually take time to pay. To, uh, to pay. Yes. Chapter 10 is about when things have not worked out. And in Chapter 10, I go back. Remember, the book is based on my personal story. So it's about how I did things. And ideally, Chapter 10 actually should be your Chapter 1, whereby you start by defining your goals and saying, what it is that I want to do and how am I going to get there? So in Chapter 10, I talk about business failure and the fact that if you have failed in business, how do you make sure that you get back? How do you make sure that you recover? And I refer to key people in the business. I speak about Donald Trump, the fact that he was uh, twice declared bankrupt at a personal level and twice at the business level, and yet he managed to recover. And today he's one of the richest real estate entrepreneurs in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I talk about Oprah Winfrey. You know, I talk about business failure and failure in general. I talk about J.K. Rowling. I also speak about uh, local South African business people who have actually failed and actually recovered. I speak about Dr. Ruel Koza. And in that chapter, I take you through the step-by-step -step of goal setting and saying, when things have not worked out, how do you make sure that you then recover and you get back to your original vision, which is what, what it is that you want to make mm -hmm. with your life? And yeah, that is that is the book. Okay, fantastic. It yeah. sounds like there's a wealth of, of knowledge in, in there. Do, do you think that people can, I mean, if they have access to your book, and I believe you give talks as well, yes. uh, and, and sports structures like coaching, do you, do you need a business degree to start up your own business? Not necessarily. Mm. Yeah, you don't need a business degree. You, you, you need that idea. But you first need to test the idea in the market. Is mm. the idea going to be... Profitable is it going? To, first of all, is it going to be viable? Is it going to be profitable and is going to be sustainable? Because there is no point in being profitable and then you cannot sustain the business further. The other thing is that when you start a business, your aim is to grow, is to become big, and that is why you continuously have to conduct 
research so that you can see when you're getting in the money, how much of the money are you going to be investing back into the business, either to innovate new products, either to extend your service line, and so forth and so forth. But um, any qualification actually enhances. If, if you are a specialist in a particular area, clients actually tend to trust people who know, who are experts in what they do. So um, a qualification in your area of speciality comes in handy. But um, it's not a prerequisite to have a business uh, qualification upfront. However, it is advisable to continue to learn and make sure that you get some type of learning which is going to help you to run your business. To keep evolving. Well, mm. Morangwa, that was, I've got so many questions, but unfortunately we're out of time. Yeah. Thank you so much. We'll put a link up to uh, your book on our Facebook page. And the best of luck with the journey forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Well, that sounds like a, a must-read, and, and what a story. So that was Morangwa Makakana. She's the author of When Is Enough Enough? Ten things that any aspiring entrepreneur needs to know to start and run a su successful business. And we'll put that link up on our Facebook page. It's otherwise on SAFM. But it's that time again. It's Shop Shop Children's Program with Leon Fisser.